You know, uh, last week we asked you to come early and you did. And it's like, wow, amazing, how cool. This week my PowerPoint's up here, I think. Is it working? How cool. Miracles still happen. We were scrambling mere moments ago, but it looks like this is going to work. Uh, before I forget, Operation Christmas Child, guys, this is a big deal for us every year. I think, uh, I'm, th I'm thinking we've had in the hundred or hundred, I don't know, boxes in the past year. Um, this is a cheap way to share the gospel with somebody else around the world that needs to hear it. And this was Uganda only, but these are going out to kids all over the world, kids who otherwise don't get things. We give them some trinkets, essentially, in a box, and the local churches are giving them the gospel as those are handed out. So I'd strongly encourage you to get behind this. I think the collection date here is the third Sunday, something like November 13th or so. So this is a good time to start. Literally get a shoebox. We'll give you more information in the future, but you could start this week. Get a shoebox and fill it up with age-appropriate stuff. You can also go online to Operation Christmas Child. You can look at some more DVDs and they'll show you how to load those boxes, okay? Okay, well, uh, taking a time-lapse step back into Mike's childhood, when I was a young guy, I'm thinking high school age here, um, I was successful in many ways, others counted success. Uh, but I, I could tell you from my vantage today, biblically I was a fool. And outwardly, if folks uh, saw my life, they would have thought uh, uh, there's a lot to aspire to with certain kinds of success. Inwardly, I was just dying, you know, I was dying. I was suicidal as a young guy before I came to Christ. But outwardly, you'd have thought I had it together. But biblically, I was a fool, and, and part of my challenge was I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know who I should become. So there's just confusion inside. I've got all these abilities. I've got all of my life ahead of me, but I don't know who I'm called to be. I don't know what my future should look like. Now, I had one aspiration as a young guy, which sort of was crazy, and I'll get to that at the end. I had one aspiration that when I grow up, I want to be like, or I want to do one thing. I had one aspiration, one only. So, kids, let me start with you. If you're in primary grades or so, even down to little Coltons, if you say to yourself, what's my vision of life when I get older? What does that look like? So, not so much what I want to do for a living, but what do I become? What does a, a, a grown-up version of me look like? Or if you're in high school today and you're anticipating, let's say, either college or trade school or life as an adult 18 years and older, as you're thinking about that, what does that look like? And again, not so much um, what your career path is, though that's important, that's a big deal, not minimizing that. But what do you as a person look like? When someone else sees you, what do they see? Or if you're in college or trade school today, as you're anticipating, let's, let's say, five to ten years of your life, who are you and what is that? Who is that? What does that look like? If you're an adult like me, if maybe you've uh, already lived more of life behind you than you've got ahead of you. You know, maybe we have a pang. As I look at my life today and I compare that to what my dream was 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago, do I get a pang because I'm disappointed? 
I aspired to be something and I'm not. I've fallen on my goals. Again, I'm not thinking of our address. I'm not thinking of bank accounts. I'm not thinking of careers. I'm talking about who and what we are from the inside out. What kind of person we aspired to be. Is that what we've become? I was a uh, high school junior when a song by Harry Chapin came out called Cats in the Cradle. If you're from the baby boomer generation, you may have heard these lyrics ad nauseum. Because this, this song, the lyrics of this song have been played and spoken and played and, and repeated over and over again. But to today's message, it certainly was spot on. And in this song, Chapin, who by the way died quite early in life, tragically so, uh, he was looking at the life of a father who's had a little son. And it's sort of the, the lyrics are about the interaction of those and that dad's always busy and Junior just wants some time. Dad's a little busy. So the st- song starts out this way. My child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way. But there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away. And he was talking for I knew it. And as he grew, he'd say, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know, I'm going to be like you. So in this picture, the little boy is looking up to his father and his aspiration is to become who and what that father figure is. For you and I, who or what is framing our reference for who and what we become when we grow up? Or when we grow a little older than we are today? Who or what is our frame of reference? Who or what is setting the standard for what we consider success. Friends, we are simply, contrary to news or thoughts otherwise, we are simply the latest generations in long lines of generations. And there's nothing original about us. We don't come whole cloth. We don't have an objective ability to pass judgment on former generations because somehow we occupy this morally neutral ground. We're objective and they weren't. We're just the latest set of generations that are being informed by the generations that preceded us. And our generations will inform, God willing, those who follow behind us. You know, again, back to my childhood, you know one of my wife's quotes when we talk to people or other people and we're talking about their parenting, uh, Kathy will say, your kids are not getting over your childhood. So you're not getting over my childhood here. But back in the day, when I was in, say, 10 years old or so, Styles came all of a sudden, out of nowhere, guys were wearing, instead of the clean-cut look of the the post-World War II era clean-cut, the hair got longer, shaggier, blunt bangs, straight leg pants, and Nehru jackets of all things. Do you know why that was? Why was that? That was because of what we called the British invasion, wasn't it? Because the Beatles came across the pond and other groups like them, And that's the way they dressed. What's that about? So we wanted to be cool like the Beatles, didn't we? We wanted to be cool like the Brits that were coming across the Atlantic and influencing us with their music. Uh, Blue jeans, you know, they're ubiquitous now, not just in the United States, but around the world, right? Blue jeans are everywhere. In fact, in lots of the world, blue jeans, especially if they say Levi, they're a status symbol. When When did blue jeans start becoming popular, do you know? In our culture? Because for most of us now, they've always been around. But do you know when they became popular? In the 50s and 60s. And do you know why? Because of James Dean and Marlon Brando. Because these cool guys wore blue jeans in the big movies they were in. 
And I want to be cool like James Dean and Marlon Brando. So Levi sales skyrocket. You can see where this goes. I'm looking up to someone I aspire to be like and I become like them. That's the way this works. This is true for all of us. None of us are objective here. This is true for all of us. Uh, G.K. Beale is a Christian. He's an academic. He's an author, a speaker. He's a really sharp guy, uh, probably about as much as anybody I like to read today. He'd be at the top of my list. He's great about taking Scripture, synthesizing it, putting things together in really helpful ways. One of his important books is called We Become What We Worship. And I'll tell you at the outset that this message today and the series that follows, Lord willing, through the end of the year is, is inspired from that book and from this concept. And listen to what Beale says in part in his book, We Become What We Worship. In Genesis 1, God created humans to be imaging beings who reflect His glory. Imaging beings who reflect, not original, but reflections, images. God has made humans to reflect Him. But if they do not commit themselves to Him, they will not reflect Him, but something else in creation. At the core of our beings, we are imaging creatures. It is not possible to be neutral on this issue. We either reflect the Creator or something in creation. Beale's thesis You're not original, I'm not original, we reflect, we image something else. And this is his point. He says, related to his book, the thesis of the book is what people revere, they resemble, either for ruin or for restoration. What we revere, we could say what we admire, we could say who we admire, who or what we worship, is what we will end up looking like. And depending on whose image that is, That aspiration could ruin us or it could make us. It could redeem us. But that's depending on the object of our worship. So briefly from Genesis 1, 26 and 27, when God created us, humanity, He said, I'm creating man in our image and our likeness. That's Beale's point. We're not original. We're created in God's image and likeness. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. Now guys, we know today all of us have intrinsic value because we share God's image. His image is stamped on us no matter how distorted our humanity has become. We still bear his image. But Beale's point is that all of us are in a process of transformation in our lives on the earth. We are becoming more like God or we're becoming more like something God created. And really the question is, which is it? So it's not if, it's simply in what direction are we going. Listen to this from Psalm 115. If you have your Bible, this is a really important passage and concept related to today's message and this theme generally. And Psalm 115 verses 4-8 through are repeated in Psalm 135 also. Now listen to this again, thinking about the process of transformation. The psalmist is talking about the statues, the idols that the Gentiles make with their own hands and then worship as their God. And listen to what the psalmist says about what happens to those who make and worship the idols. So the psalmist says their idols are silver and gold. It's stuff out of the earth. Silver and gold, the work of human hands. So we've crafted this statue These idols have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. 
They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they don't feel. Feet, but they do not walk. They do not make a sound in their throat. The thought here is, there isn't enough breath in this thing to make a little, uh, a little sound. They not only are impotent, they can't get anything out. There's nothing there. And verse 8 is the key. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. The people who make the idol and worship the idol become like the idol. They become like the object they revere, worship, fear, aspire to. Now, if I aspire to be like an idol, what happens to my humanity? It diminishes. In Beale's word, it is further ruined. We become a smaller, darker, small g God version of ourselves than God ever intended for us as we worship that idol. We're moving in the direction of ruin. Our humanity's already distorted, right, by sin, but it's getting worse based on the object of my worship. You see this in Romans 1. You guys probably know the passage, but starting at verse 21, this talks about this, prom, this uh, process that you see in Psalm 115 and Psalm 135. What happens when I turn away from the knowledge of God? So in Romans 1.21, they knew God, speaking of Gentiles specifically, non-Jews. They didn't honor God. They didn't give thanks to Him. They became futile in their thinking. Not sharper, not more objective, not clearer, but futile. Their foolish hearts were not lightened, not enlightened, were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. And of course, what's the rest of Romans 1? It's the description of the downward moral spiral of the folks who turned away from God and worshipped idols, something less than God. Not God, but something He created. It's this downward spiral. And and God gives them up over and over and over again to the idol of their choosing as they become more and more like that idol. So, as we think about our own life, are we, are we developing in the direction of ruin or of restoration? And if we look at our lives and we, we say, I'm not becoming the person I aspire to, then it means we've got the wrong object as our object of worship. It can't be otherwise. We're becoming like the object we worship. If it's an idol, that's what we're becoming like. If it's God, that's what we're becoming like. This theme you can see throughout Scripture. Uh, Luke 6.40 says, a, a disciple or a student becomes like their teacher. I look up to my teacher. My teacher informs my life. I become like them. 1 Corinthians uh, 15.33 says, we take on the the morals of the people we hang out with. You know, we talk about peer pressure. It's because when I'm in my peer group, my peer group is my God. I value their approval, so I'm becoming like them. I'm taking on their morals, the things they value. All of this is just to lead up to say, we're introducing a new series this morning, eight weeks long. Lord willing, it will take us through the end of the year, and it's called Behold Your God. So I think we would say in this room that the best thing we could aspire to is to become more like God. And so if it's true that what we revere we become like, 
then the best thing we can do as believers, as followers of Jesus, is to behold God. And so, in the Sundays I'm up teaching in the next eight weeks, right through the end of the year, we'll look at seven messages that focus on God in some particular aspect, in some specific way He's, he's shown in the Scriptures. If you have your study sheet, by the way, these are all down there. We'll look at God as the Creator. God as both the promise maker and the promise keeper. God as our provider. God as the ultimate object of awe or fear or reverence or worship. As we get towards Christmas, end of November and into December, thinking of the Incarnation, God in Christ as the suffering servant. God in Christ as the last Adam. And then last, God in Christ, heaven and earth's greatest joy. So what we want to do in our Sunday teaching times at least is we want to look specifically at God. We want to behold God and God in Christ in the Incarnation so that we can become more like Him. And the premise is this. If God is the source of all that's desirable, and He is, because He's all wisdom and knowledge, all peace and all joy, all beauty and all strength, all beneficial creativity, then to become like God is to grow in the best ways imaginable. That should be our aspiration. It is to be restored instead of being ruined. And let me just be careful on the front end. When we talk about our faith and what that looks like, we often default towards an external understanding. I'm going to clean up my life. I'm going to uh, change the way I look on the outside. And that is not what I'm talking about. That's not what Scripture's talking about. Our external behaviors, our words and our actions are based on our internal desires and values. So when we talk about transformation, we're talking about internal transformation that ends up affecting what I say and do with my hands or my mouth, my feet or my eyes or ears. We're not talking, you don't start with externals, you talk about internal transformation that affects everything we do. I'm going to preach to the choir just a little bit. I just want to cover bases. On Sunday mornings, when I teach, we'll be talking about these images of God. We're beholding God in some specific way. But Monday through Saturday, how do you and I behold God and what does that look like? So, how, how do I see God day by day in my life? How do you see God day by day in your life? What are the places, what are the exercises that we can avail ourselves of to behold God? And in the beholding to become like Him. Daniel, my friend, has got my back here. So one thing we could do would be to read our Bibles. Yes, to read our Bibles. To be in the Scriptures. And we say that not because the, the Bible is some data collection, right? Jesus said in John 5.39 that the Scriptures speak of Me. Or in Luke 24, Jesus took His disciples through and He showed them Himself in the Old Testament. So we want to be in the Scriptures because we see God and we see God incarnate Christ when we're in our Bible. And guys, we don't want to just come away with data, facts, and figures. We want to know God. We behold God through the Word. Prayer is another key and important way that we draw near to God. James 4, verse 8 says, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Now that's cool. You know, when we're in the Word, we're thinking objective stories, narratives, truth about God. We're we're thinking about concepts. But when we draw near to God, God draws he, near to us. He reveals Himself in a different way. I hope everyone here has had those experiences where we're on our knees, we're humbled, we're repentant, we're fearful, we're anxious, whatever. 
And all we can do is pray. And so as we humble ourselves and we draw near to God in prayer, guess what we feel? God draw near to us. We know something of God, don't we, in His comfort and His presence. We're beholding Him as we pray. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper every first Sunday, we are beholding God. And this is really important. Every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, Luke 22, verse 19, Jesus said, as often as you do this, remember me. Right? So when we have the bread and we have the juice or the cup, we're remembering that Jesus loved us so that He put His body on the cross instead of ours, right? And so that His blood, meaning His life, was poured out to cover our sins. And we learn something about God in that, don't we? That God is love and He loves the unlovable, even someone like me. And I behold God in the Lord's Supper. Uh, worship, when we say worship, we default to the thought of singing corporately, and that's great, but we can worship 24-7. Worship ultimately is an act of humbling ourselves and presenting ourselves to God. We can do that personally in worship, in praise, in prayer, in the Word. It's an attitude of heart that's not dependent on a service here on Sunday morning. David said in Psalm 27-4, and think about this, King David was the guy in the Old Testament that God said, if there's anybody that has a heart like mine, that's like me on the earth, it's David. And listen to what David said from his inside out about what he valued and aspired to. Psalm 27.4, he said, One thing I have asked of the Lord, that's what I'm going to seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. So David says, all I'm really after is if I could hang out in the temple and consider or behold God, that would be a good day. That would be a good life. David was like God because God was the object of his worship. David wanted to be like God. He beheld God and guess what? He became like God. He sinned. We know that. But he's still the man God said is like me. Last thing I'd mention here is just fellowship. We underestimate the value of fellowship. Ephesians 4 talks about God, Christ, gifting people in the church to serve each other. When we think of spiritual gifts, we think we, we are given a capacity supernaturally to serve others. But that's supposed to take us individually and corporately in a certain direction. So in Ephesians 4, verse 13, Paul says, in the context of serving each other in the fellowship of the saints, he says we do this until we all attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Did you ever think that as we fellowship with each other and serve each other, we are helping each other behold God through those spiritual gifts? And that's part of the conforming process God is at work in our lives to bring us more fully into His image. It's through the fellowship of the saints as we serve each other. So if I want to hang out with God, I'm going to do so in these venues. And as I do, I behold Him and I become more like Him. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18 is a key, it's a key verse, it's a key thought. Paul there, is, uh, the context is he's saying, you guys, now the Holy Spirit is now outside you, now He's inside you. And now, God hasn't written His law on those stone tablets, now He's written them inside you on your heart. 
And so thinking that the Spirit of God is now in the person and in the church, the temple is no longer a building, it's the individual believer, and it's the believers together. With that as a backdrop, Paul says, we all with unveiled face are looking in a mirror and we see the glory of the Lord as we're being transformed into the same image, into the Lord's image, from glory to glory, just as the Lord the Spirit. There's a couple different thoughts here. One is this. Because Paul has just said the Spirit of God is in you, when I look in a mirror, Paul says, I'm seeing the Holy Spirit transform Mike, as you look in your mirror, the Holy Spirit inside you is transforming you from the inside out. You are, as you see yourself in the mirror, seeing the transformation of God occur. But also, remember those uh, mirrors back in the day, they weren't made of glass and silver, they were metal. So, when you looked in a mirror, you saw some distortions, and the image wasn't quite right. And so Paul's saying two things. God's work of transformation is going on inside us. Look in the mirror and you'll see yourself being transformed. But it's a little fuzzy. It's a little uneven. And as long as we're alive in these bodies, that's the way it's going to be. But the transformation is occurring. It's taking place because the Holy Spirit's at work inside of us. Now on Sunday morning, we're sitting in church and we talk of idols. I don't know if this is true for you, but every time in the Scriptures when I read idols, I'm thinking statues, right? And so it's easy for me to tell myself, I'm not an idolater. I don't know any idolaters. I don't know anybody that's bowing down to statues. But let's just pause. Listen to the way Martin Luther defines an idol. Whatever your heart clings to. Whatever your heart clings to. Whatever it relies on. That is your God. Trust and faith of the heart alone make both God and idol. When you're in trouble, who do you think about for help? When I'm fearful, who do I think about? If I'm thinking about I want something, I'd like to be like someone, desires, faith, trust, what, what comes to my mind? Because ultimately, if it's not God, we've got idols, right? We've got idols. I want to hurry through Isaiah 6 and then take that into the New Testament. Um... Listen to this passage out of Isaiah 6. And as you do, let the, the words of Psalm 115 ring in your ear, okay? We're connecting Psalm 115 with Isaiah 6. And Isaiah 6 is, for me, one of the high watermarks of the Old Testament. Because this is when the great prophet Isaiah is commissioned by God. And apparently in a vision, he's caught up into the courts of heaven. He sees God in His glory in heaven. He sees the heavenly host. And God is talking to the heavenly host. And this is what Isaiah hears. Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? So Isaiah is there. God's in His glory. He is so moved. And so Isaiah says, I'm here. I'm your man. Send me. Now, if we're with Isaiah, I think we're with him. That's what our heart would say too. But listen to the message. Isaiah is commissioned with. God says, okay, Isaiah, you're my man. Go and tell this people. This is your message for me. Keep on listening, but don't perceive. Keep on looking, but don't understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull, their eyes dim. 
Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, return and be healed. What is God saying to Isaiah for Israel? He's saying you're a nation of idolaters. And I'm going to give you up to the image you've been worshiping. You'll have eyes, but you won't see. You'll have ears, but you won't hear. You're not being restored. You're being ruined. And I'm going to give you over to your choice. That's Isaiah 6. Now follow this. This goes into John 12. So I'm saying this to a religious group in a church on Sunday, right? Isaiah is speaking to God's covenant people. They've got the law. They've got the temple. And God says, you're idolaters. And I'm giving you up to your idolatry. So in John 12, listen to what is recorded about Jesus in His day. Now, Yahweh of Isaiah 6 has now come in flesh on the earth. And Jesus the Messiah has been in Israel and He's been doing all the works of the Messiah. In fact, when John's disciples come and say to Jesus, are you the one or do we wait for someone else? Jesus quotes Isaiah 35 to say the Messiah would do these things. And guess what? I'm here. The lame walk, the blind see, the poor have good news preached to them. Tell John that. The Messiah is here. But listen to the conclusion in John 12. Though He had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in Him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what what He heard from us? Meaning no one's believed. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Who's understood your message? No one. Therefore, verse 39, they could not believe, for again Isaiah says, He has blinded their eyes, hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes, understand with their heart, turn and I would heal them. Do you see what Jesus is saying here too? Same thing in Isaiah's day. Guys, these were religious people. They went to the temple. They memorized the Bible. They were like us. And God says through Christ, you're idolaters because you in fact don't worship Me. You worship some religious, distorted, twisted visage of me. You don't worship me. So God says, I'm giving you up to your idolatry. Idols are blind and you're going to be blind. You've rejected Yahweh in Isaiah and now they've re- rejected Yahweh in the incarnation in Christ. And God says, you are going to be blind, deaf, and dumb, and impotent, just like the idol, the little g God version of yourself that you've worshiped. So we can jump through hoops religiously, externally and be heading absolutely in the direction of ruin. So we just want to take a hard-headed look at ourselves and say, Lord, who do I aspire to be like? Who is that? Is that you? Is it something less than you? Is it something created? Um, the The church in the States for the last 30 years or so has had a methodology of reaching people for Christ that's based on what are called felt needs. And it goes like this. Scratch where people itch. If they have a felt need, speak to the felt need. You'll get them in the church. They'll hear about the message of Christ. They'll get saved and they'll be discipled. And sometimes it works that way and sometimes it doesn't. But the process goes like this. Uh, I need help with my little Johnny. I need parenting help. That's my felt need. So tell me how to be a better parent. Or for some of us, it's I thought I'd be married by 25 or 30 or 35 and I'm not. I'm confused. Somebody tell me how to live life as an adult single. Tell me how to. 
right? Or I'm struggling with porn or some kind of addiction. I'm in the midst of sin and I don't know how to get out. Somebody how to tell me how to get out of my sin. Or I'm recovering addict of one stripe or another. Somebody tell me how to stay free of my sin. It's how to. And this is all important stuff. And I'm not minimizing any of it. How to is important. But the bigger thing than how to, it's not how, it's, it's who. Scripture talks about how to live life successfully, so I'm not downplaying that. But it's more important who we know than the rest of the how-tos. You see, if we know God, if we know God in Christ, if we aspire to be like Him, then inwardly we're being transformed into His image and the how-tos take care of themselves. If I'm more like Christ, I'm a better per, uh, parent, person, husband, father, wife, student, you name it. I'm in the Word. I'm being transformed. I've got the how-tos. So let me ask you as we wind down, uh, what do you want to be when you grow up? Who do you want to be like? And just take with me a quick self-test. I hope you have a study sheet because it's on the bottom. If I ask myself, what person do I most aspire to be like? Who comes into my mind? Not who is the right answer. Who comes into my mind? Who do I want to be like when I grow up? Who pops into my mind? How many hours a week do I watch television? And, and what is the common thread on the television shows I like to watch? What, what do I aspire? What do I get from the TV viewing I do? And I'm talking leisure hours here. When I'm on the internet, how many hours a week am I in my leisure time on the internet? And what's, what's sort of the prevailing thing I get from the internet viewing I do? What, what is informing me? What are the posters in our rooms? Who are the musicians we're listening to? Who are we looking up to? And take those leisure hour investments and then compare them. How many hours a week am I with the Lord in one conscious venue or another? How many hours a week am I in the Word, in prayer, in fellowship with others, in worship here? What does that look like? And guys, for many of us, the ratio is probably going to be, this is a generous estimation, three, four, five, six to one. What do you think that will say, what do you think the accumulative effect of that will be on what we are becoming? Now hopefully it's all positive. The things we're taking in are positive and Christ-like, um, but maybe not. If I'm a little older, whom have I grown up to be like? You know, though I was very foolish as a young guy, for sure. God saved me when I was 19. Uh, I was thrilled. I knew so little, but you know the one thing I wanted to do when I grew up? The one thing I wanted to be when I grew up? I wanted to be a husband and a father. It's all I knew. I had no career goals. I had no thought of how you make money or what making a living looks like. I knew none of that. The one thing I knew was I want to be a husband and a father. Why do you think that was? Because of my dad. And when I got married and had a wife and children, I came wired with, for sure, deficient, not a full toolbox, but I had clearly in my mind's eye, I knew what being a husband and father looked like. And I had lots to grow in, but I came thinking, that's what I want. That's what I'm going to be when I grow up. That's what I'm going to do. And I've been just so blessed. If you know my wife, you know. I, like most men I know, married up. If you know my girls, they're just gracious. If you know their husbands, they're great. If you know my grandkids, you're going to love them when they're here next month. 
So who are we looking to? What's our transformation? So let me close with Harry Chapin's song as well. And you remember his song was about the struggle of dad to find time for junior. And so the song concludes this way. I've long since retired. Dad's grown up. Grandfather now. I've long since retired. My son's moved away. I called him up just the other day. I said, I'd like to see you if you don't mind. He said, I'd love to, Dad, if I can find the time. My new job's a hassle and the kids have the flu, but it's sure nice talking to you, Dad. It's sure nice talking to you. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me he'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. So guys, what is the object to which we are being conformed? And is that object, is it ruining us or is it saving us? Is it ruining us or is it saving us? Lord, would you take the, the truth of your word, would you bury it in our hearts and our minds, would you help us to aspire nobly, greatly, humbly, to be more like your beloved Son. In his name, amen.